Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tardy Takes Seminars. So normally, in a Tardy Takes branded show, I, Bartley, am joined by Shellen, and we talk about something... St- well, I talk about something stupid for about five minutes, and Shellen talks about the card game for five minutes. But that's not the case this time, is it, Shellen? It is not. This time, we're going to talk about something stupid together for an indeterminate amount of time, right? Or am I reading the notes uh... wrong? Well, I mean, that's probably what's going to happen, because we're probably going to sound stupid. But we are actually going to do a sort of deep dive uh, sort of episode here. So people had kind of requested on Twitter and some stuff to me. They were like, oh, I want to see more of... uh..." I did that one deck dive on Keldara. No more. (laughs) I pretended like, like it's the Jack shot, like there might be more. And I never intended to make more, just like the Jack shot. So, um, we're going to start with the stupid. So, uh, basically, on these episodes, which are going to be whenever we feel like making them, uh, because they do require a good amount of prep work, we will discuss a topic in the show, or, uh, in the game, and take, like I said, a longer look into it, kind of break things down. Uh, our intent is to kind of try to help some newer players a little bit, but also give older players maybe, um... Uh, how do I want to say it? Oh, look at something maybe they didn't uh, previous, they overlooked, you know, kind of um, sparked their interest or something. And then, most importantly, at the very end of every episode, uh, we'll have an insane anecdote, uh, which I'm looking forward to. And because it's a seminar, we've decided to give it these kind of cheesy but funny uh, school-related themes. So... On this episode, we're going to talk about Noldor decks, and we've decided to call it a 200-level course. So, trying to give you an idea of how complex the topic might be, how far we might go into it. So, it's not going to be, you know, very surface-level type of thing, but it's not going to be we're breaking down where commas are in a sentence on a card type of Level, you know, does that make sense, Shellen? Am I? How, yeah, how no, we we save that for our discussions on the wizards' voice, right? All punctuation oh, right, related yes. topics are just that one card. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be a whole episode dedicated to that. Yep. And just to give some, you know, background about why we're qualified for this, Bardley, you you currently work for a university, is that correct? Uh, yes, I I actually am. I I am staff at a at a four year university. That's true. <laughs> Perfect. And when I was a grad student, I taught some introductory level mathematics courses to help pay for school. So we have both worked for a university uh, in some capacity at some point in time. So there's nobody more qualified to teach you a 200 level course than the two of us, I'm sure, on the whole Internet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we are the best choices. Maybe like, well, maybe number one, you would pick like uh what is the, the main character from uh, Assassination Classroom? And then number two, us. Okay, so... Two's still pretty then, good. Yeah, number two's pretty good. And then number three, the bear guy from Danganronpa. So we're, we're, we're high up there. Um, so, as I said, we're going to talk about Noldor decks. So, Shellen, I guess at this point, let's jump into the show here. Okay. When we talk about a Noldor deck, like what... Generally, what am I am I referring to when I call something an old or deck? Uh, sure. So we're talking about cards typically that are related to the Noldor trait. 
Uh, so, you know, that got developed in the upcoming uh, repackage cycle for everybody. All those new players out there that are going to be getting the Dream Chaser is really where this trait was fleshed out in the, the card design game. Prior to Dream Chaser and the card game's life, you got a smattering of Noldor cards, some that did and some that didn't really correspond to what the archetype eventually became. Uh, but that's really when it, it kicked into high gears with the Dream Chaser cards. So we're talking elves, you know, Noldor being the the elves that had gone to Valinor and then, you know, come back to Middle-earth and probably involved in some, some ship-related kinslaying and <laughs> these sorts of things. So uh, for, for the lore, lore back there. So the, those are the, the cards that make up the bulk of the deck. Much like when we talk about like a dwarf deck or a Gondor deck, it's it's Noldor trade. It's a Noldor elves. Yeah, and um, what would be some things that you would say beyond just the the trait of a deck? Because sure, trait decks are very common, right? That's like the four starter decks that we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would consider those trait decks. I mean, but it's written right on the on the boxes, <laughs> so I'm not like breaking anyone's brain here. But uh, like those. Uh, some of those decks they have like specific uh, mechanics what would you say uh, are the types of mechanics that define the type of Noldor deck that we're specifically talking about here sure so the the primary mechanics at least as far as I see them for the Noldor deck are one using cards as currency uh, for other effects oftentimes for resources but sometimes for secondary effects so we're talking like discarding cards from your hand uh, is, is a big thing from the Noldor. And then the yeah, other big... Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly, on purpose. So like Eowyn in the core box, you can discard a card from your hand to boost her willpower. Now that we see the Noldor trait defined, like that's a very Noldor-ish effect that she has, you know, because you're discarding a card to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big piece then would be then interacting with cards that are now in your discard pile. So some cards kind of become an extension of your hand while they're there because you can play them out of the discard pile. You have other cards that can manipulate them. You maybe have cards that boost based on what's on top of your discard pile. So, so those are the two biggest bits. You, there are some secondary effects, like you need to be able to draw a lot of cards in order to be right. able to fund discarding cards from your hand. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. But But that's more of a like tertiary effect in order to fuel the the main driving force which is discarding cards out of your hand for for a benefit right yeah so if you haven't ever played an old or deck or you see someone play it yeah usually they're trying to get cards in the discard and then as shellen said interact with them somehow whether it's playing them out of the discard or if they have a beneficial effect for being in the discard that's the kind of Noldor deck we're talking about. There are other Noldor cards in the game, as Sean was mentioned. Um, we will talk about some of them later, but those aren't the ones that we're focused on here. When we mean a Noldor deck, this is the type of deck that we mean, uh, and that's the type of deck we're going to be talking about on this episode specifically. Um, yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, Shellen, is uh, drawing cards being mm-hmm. critical. I think... Um, I guess I'll take the... the you kind of mentioned it briefly, but I'll quickly step in and, and explain something here. I think it's fairly obvious. In a deck where you need to discard cards from your hand to get effects, obviously you need to have cards in your hand to be right. able to continue doing it. So it's um, if people have played something like Race for the Galaxy or San Juan, where it's a similar idea where it's like, 
oh, to pay for a card, I have to discard cards. Marvel Champions is the same thing too, right? So mm-hmm. like, you need to have some sort of engine to keep you getting cards so that you can keep doing these effects at discard because obviously the more cards you would have in hand to be able to discard for different effects, the better your deck is going to be. So um, that would be why you would want to put in maybe, um, would you say more than normal levels of card draw, I I think is fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think C-Stan, a long time ago now, I mean, I remember reading it when I was just first getting into the game, put together a pretty good uh, primer on like what a good deck needs to be able to do to function. Mm And one of the big things was that a deck to be able to function needs to draw at least one additional card per round. Now, that didn't necessarily mean every round. Maybe you had like a faux hammer and right. drew three cards and that that covers you for three rounds worth of it. But like you wanted to be seeing two cards per round on average, one from your resource phase and one from something else. Noldor, you need more than that uh, because yes. you're you're playing cards out of your hands still that are mm-hmm. still requiring you to be seeing those two cards to be able to find things but then you need additional cards in your hand to fund your other abilities so i i would say yeah you need more than just the standard two cards per round in a typical noldor deck at the very least while you're ramping up in the first few turns sure sure yeah late game well as a as a in most decks late game you kind of don't need much of the engine anymore because it's like you should be set up and and be in a position to win uh if you're not you're probably in trouble <laughs> and you're probably mm-hmm. going to lose or the encounter deck has done something uh you know like foundations of stone which wipes away a lot of your um attachments or dunlin trap which steals your attachments you're kind of going to be like oh well uh you know the encounter deck purposely weakened me and i have to rebuild back up but typically yeah. that's not the case so what would be some cards i would say that are typical of draw in a Noldor deck. One that uh, people already have, which is uh, Aristor Hero. So he draws you the extra three cards per uh, turn at the beginning. Of course, you have to discard your whole hand at the end of the of the round, but you're seeing a lot more cards per turn. Uh, you're just churning through your deck much more quickly. Similar is uh, Kirdan Hero. He will be in the Dream Chaser cycle box. He lets you draw. Well, he you basically you draw two and then you discard one of the two that you looked at, and then the other goes into your hand. Mm-hmm. So you are filtering. Uh, you're not getting to you know. You get a little bit of choice, but at the same time, you can get hosed a little bit too if you get two really good cards. It's like, oh well, I got to discard one. But uh, you are. The point is that you're just churning through your deck, speeding through it much more quickly. Uh, there's also in the Dream Chaser box, uh, Galdor Hero. He lets you take a selective mulligan at the beginning of the game instead of a full standard mulligan, where normally you shuffle all your cards back in and, and draw again. He lets you basically choose a, uh, a certain amount of cards in hand, you put them in the discard, and then you draw that many cards back. It's kind of like five-card draw, basically. Um, if you're familiar with poker, I, I hope that's mm-hmm. a reference people get. That's a very common game. Uh, it's similar to how it works in like Marvel Champions as well. Uh, and then also, if you have at one point, if you have zero cards in your hand, one time per game, you basically draw up a full hand again, which is right. uh, a sure. lot of cards. Um, and then, uh, so I guess one thing that I've, we, we've talked about heroes a lot here too. 
Uh, and we haven't talked about their stats. <laughs> We've only talked about their abilities. I guess I'll mention this now. In the Noldor deck, the stats are not... Obviously, they're important, right? Of course, if they have no stats, then they suck. But the stats are not as important as the abilities in terms of how the deck functions. Um, and that's why these heroes, we've not even talked about the fact that Kyrdan's got four <laughs> willpower, which is awesome. Uh, as far as the Noldor deck is concerned, his draw is more important. Um, and then for an event that's also key is another one that people will have gotten um, from the uh, Dread Realm pack. So that's the Angmar box. Elven Light, that's the one where if it's in your discard, you could pay one to bring it back to your hand and it lets you draw a card. And obviously in a deck where we've mentioned Aerostore, cards go to the discard. Kyrdan, a card goes to the discard. Galdor, card goes to the discard. Yep. Elven Light should be able to get in your discard. Um, we'll talk about that, I think, in this next segment. But these are some cards that I would consider pretty typical of... Uh, Noldor and the draw and the card draw and kind of some of the cards that define card draw in a Noldor deck. Definitely. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably touch on this again a little bit later, but a big piece of why the Noldor deck functions then is that you mentioned three heroes there. Um, you know, you're starting with card draw on the board, which is huge for being able to, to fund a lot of those abilities. And then there are a couple other you know, small bits and pieces other than those heroes in the Elven Light. You know, um, Lindir Ally is a unique Noldor that'll come out here that if you have less than, what, less than three cards in hand, he'll draw you up to three, basically. So you can get one, two, or three draw out of him, potentially. Uh, Galdor Ally allows you to draw a card when you discard a card, uh, which is great with a lot of the other stuff. Um, the Elves of Lorien pack repacked Daron's Runes, which is not strictly a Noldor card, but it it almost might as well be, allowing you to draw two and then discard one is like perfect uh, for fueling both sides of this uh, archetype as well. So there's there's a lot of card draw baked into uh, the spirit and lore spheres, which is where Noldor kind of tend to operate. Right there, there are some differences. Um, I guess one that we didn't mention that I guess most probably because new players won't see him is going to be Gildor and Glorian's another Noldor hero that has a card draw baked into him as well. Spending a resource to draw a card and leadership's quite good. Um, so that there's a ton of just this synergy baked right into the heroes. You know, you're going to open that Dream Chaser box, see Kirdan and Galdor, and you have Arwen and Aristor already, you've got four amazing heroes basically at your disposal to kind of mix and match from that are all really trying to do the exact same thing, which is pretty cool. Yes. Um, we're kind of getting into, you should be kind of getting the idea that we're, we're looking at a lot of synergy here, and we'll, we'll talk about that more later as well. We're, we're, we're kind of punting a lot of things later to kind of go more in depth in, into that, yeah. uh, which like I said, we will, but we want to get through this um, kind of this segment opening. of what are some cards that define it, yeah. Definitely. Into. So people know what cards we're talking about once we start <laughs> really getting into the weeds here, right? Yeah. You gotta know what we're talking about before, before that happens. Um, so that we have kind of the next piece of them, which is discarding cards that are in your hand. Um, there, there are a couple like really key pieces to the Noldor deck in terms of this. I think the, the driving force behind it is to the sea, to the sea. Uh, a song attachment that 
basically you exhaust it, pitch a number of cards from your hand, and you discount the cost of the next Noldor ally played by however many cards you pitched to a minimum of one cost. So so that's the the main way when we're talking about how you turn cards into resources. That's how they're doing it. You know, you're using this attachment to I pitched four cards to make my five cost Glorfindel only cost one resource because uh, I drew 12 cards and still only get my three resources per round. So it's kind of a way to accelerate that mm-hmm. way. Elven Jeweler is a similar accelerant. Uh, she's a two cost ally typically, but has an action where you can just discard two cards to put her in play. Uh, and that's in any action window. So she's great for just oh, free ally, basically. Um, yeah, and, and, then, and a really good example of, of how the deck works, where it's like, oh, <coughs> you're discarding cards to play her. So kind of that's like very foundational for how to understand the deck if you've never played it before. I think she's a, a really good example of the basics, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then Arwen, Hero, like I, I mentioned before, they're just in the, the Angmar box. Another pitch a card, get a resource. Uh, we'll talk about Elven Light, I'm sure, with both her and some other things, but that's a, a huge combo for the deck. And then you have all of the other, like, discard a card to get a small benefit type card. So Guardian of Rivendell, part of their cost is that you have to discard two cards, but that's why they're kind of cheap and neutral, is, you know, you can pitch cards as part of their cost. Imladris Caregiver, you can heal. Uh, by discarding cards, Steed of Imladris, you can brace progress by discarding cards. Protector of Lorien, you can boost willpower or defense by pitching cards. Ally Glorfindel, you can ready him by pitching cards. Elven Spear, Spear, you can boost attack by pitching cards. You can see that there's basically any phase or portion of the game that you might want to boost or get healing or something like that. Noldor have some sort of answer for that that involves discarding cards from your hand uh which is which is pretty cool they basically got the the whole <laughs> the whole uh round of the game covered in some capacity if you want to include those cards in your hand to be able to to fund them with your discarding right and you know as we we talked first the reason first we picked draw first is because you need to have the cards to discard for all these effects but now you can see why you want to have so many cards because as Shellen has demonstrated, these cards like can get allies into play cheap more cheaply. They can, uh, you know, get you out of location lock. They can heal you. So like, you want to have these cards in your hand for options. Once you have these cards, once you have these like allies and attachments in play, you need to have fodder in your hand. Essentially, it could be more copies of these cards. Could be whatever, um, so that you can actually do these abilities. You know, so uh, this is really. This is really the bulk of the of the deck, as Shellen has kind of pointed out. This is really the main mechanic is discarding to do stuff. So that's why you want the card draw. That's why we started with it. So you can actually do all these really good abilities. So pretty unique, I would say as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that there were a couple of cards that uh, we joked that are kind of like secret Noldors because it's like, oh. They really fit in with the Noldor deck. Um, uh, you mentioned Eowyn, which is probably the most classic example of like a secret mm-hmm. Noldor card because she really helps you discard stuff. Uh, you know, my favorite hero... Well, actually, we should save that one. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, typically in a card game, we discuss this off air. And one of the reasons why we picked this is because discarding from your hand is bad. <laughs> uh, right. Because it means you have less options of things to do. And this is usually in a versus game, right? So if you have less options and your opponent has more options, you're probably going to lose. Whereas in, so a lot of times, your reaction and typically the way you play a game, and even in this one, is to have like a card of like 20 hand or uh, a hand of like 20 cards. And then you have like all these these cards, but then with a Nolder, you actually don't want them in your hand because it's like, well, if you're not discarding them, you're not getting the effects that your deck is not functioning and working. So, um, can be a bit strange for people if they've, um, they're not used to a, a type of deck like that because in many games, as I said, in competitive games, having less cards in your hand is a negative, but in an old or deck, not so much. Yeah, even in this game, um, you really there is a bit of a, a head wrap around of like the planning phase is very different. Uh, yes. But we haven't really touched on it, but I think a big reason of why this works is going to be the topic you're going to get into next. But then also that um, card draw is much less limited, I think, in this game than resource acceleration is. Uh, the very best yeah. resource accelerant is like Sword of Gondor, but then almost all the rest of them are pretty capped if that makes sense like if you're getting more than one extra resource per round without using steward you're doing something really really well and probably kind of janky where card draw especially when we talked about some of these heroes and effects you had like you can be seeing four or five cards around pretty easily yeah uh, once you're set up and going so your limiting factor of resources trying to make that matter as little as possible by using a different currency uh is huge mm -hmm. and, and kind of why the deck works with all these discard abilities there there's no cap on card draw really i mean maybe we'll talk about that a little bit but functionally there's not that much of a cap on card draw in this game right yeah and uh you you mentioned too that's a different type of planning phase as well another reason why we chose to cover this is because the first time this is not a deck that i think you can hand to somebody who's never played the game or playing for the first time be like play this deck because they're going to be confused because it it's not going to play like the other decks at the table so you have to kind of uh the first couple times you play it might take some training wheels kind of why we're doing this to kind of give you some help in explaining it because it, especially in the we'll Again, we'll we'll discuss specifically how the air store version works, but especially we've talked about you have to discard all your cards at the end of the turn, so it's like all these cards that I can't do do anything with if they're too expensive or whatever. It's like, well, they all just get discarded at the end of the round anyway, so I better be right. doing stuff to get to get rid of them. So it is a bit different where you might be making instead of holding a card that you think is really good, it may be better to get it in the discard, mm -hmm. uh, which is usually counterintuitive a lot of times you want your best card in your hand so you can play it but that's not always the case in a older deck which can be confusing i think that was something similar in like marvel champions that when uh you first would play that game and you would want to hold like that one good response card that triggers during the the villain phase but it's like yeah but then i i only drew four more cards <laughs> like, yeah my deck is slowing down so kind of similar thing here um but I think I'll move on here to the thing you just teased here that I will talk about, which is playing cards from the discard. So 
we've now discussed how getting things like discarding cards from hand is valuable, but it's not the only way that cards are valuable in an old lore deck. There are many cards that um, allow you to play cards from the discard or uh, trigger off of being in the discard pile. So I would say Lords of the Eldar is probably the like marquee card. Uh, that's an event that can only be played from your discard, and then it basically boosts all of your characters into pl- in play. So that's like a card, as I mentioned, like, oh, early in the game, you might want to try to get that in your discard as soon as possible so you can get the, the bonus as soon as possible. You might not play it for a while, but that's a card that you're going to be trying to get in there. Uh, you briefly skirted over Glorfindel Ally for a different one, but Glorfindel Ally can be played from your discard, which is... Um, is he the only ally in the game with text like that, I think? Where you yes. Just, he has yep. awesome playing from the discard, yeah. So yeah, very unique card. So I would say pretty representative of some of the things Noldor decks are trying to do is, again, instead of paying five immediately for him, you can put him in your discard on, like, turn two and try to play him on, like, turn four because you're like, oh, I'll just save up for him or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the, to the sea, you can trigger that with Glorfindel ally. So that's pretty nice. And then a card that's technically not an old ore, but uh, th- it has a sister card, so I guess I'll talk about them both, is Reforged and Stand and Fight, which are X-cost events that allow you to um, play either an ally or an att- attachment from your discard and they uh you can also play out of sphere stuff with those too so that's pretty key for the Nold, a lot of Noldor decks too is because you're seeing so many cards it can be a really tough resource crunch at times where it's like oh i drew five cards this turn i drew four lore cards <laughs> i have one lore hero i can't play these cards mm-hmm. so or you could be playing out of sphere stuff you could be playing uh, I mean, you could be playing Sword of Gondor, right? Or yep. you could be playing uh, Raiment of War, which uh, is a card I think we'll mention as well eventually. That's a tactics card, but you can play those with Reforged. Uh, you know, standard fight, you could play some tactics ally. I don't know, whatever you want to play. <laughs> uh, so, or as I mentioned, you could Sphere Fix a little bit too if you were like, oh, I ran out of Spirit Resources. I was one short, but Later, you can use Stand a Fight to play that ally or that attachment with Reforge, which is pretty, um, pretty nice. Uh, and then I did I mentioned Elven Light already for the draw, but so we don't need to really talk about that one too much. So, uh, oh, I guess I forgot to mention a funny one because it's not Noldor at all. But its name is Dwarven Tomb. <laughs> yep, <laughs> uh, which is very funny. That that is we we talked a little bit about cards that were like fit the Noldor, but weren't Noldor. This is a great example of one. I feel like I forgot this was on the list, too. Dwarven Tomb lets you pull a spirit card back from your discard, so... Uh, I guess Will of Will of the West is a, a card that often gets played with this card, too. The one that lets you shuffle your discard back into your, your deck. Um, yep. Sometimes you will need to Dwarven Tomb your Will of the West or stuff like that, too, so... Uh, yeah, also a good one, too, for playing some from the discard. These are some I think a good a good example of playing from your discard type of cards. Yeah, a good example and a good spread. Um, I think that there 
between all the things you mentioned that are either playable from the discard pile or able to grab things out of your discard pile, there's enough cards there that actually make it worthwhile to be discarding cards. Because mm-hmm. I don't think the Noldor deck would be that good if you didn't have any way to interact with your discarded cards. Like, it would still be good to be able to use cards as currency to pay for other cards. Like, that's still a good thing. But then you've just kind of got a dead discard pile there that you're right, kind of yeah. burning through your deck. <laughs> so having some other benefits to to those cards that you've gotten rid of is really, I think, what takes the deck to the next level. Like, if it, if we just had draw and using cards as currency, it'd be an interesting archetype. But with this added layer, I think it makes it an interesting and very good <laughs> archetype, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and in addition to having cards that can interact with um, your discard pile, pulling them out and playing them from there and that sort of thing, there are also kind of a last category of cards that interact with your discard pile in a different way. Um, there's there's a set of allies, one for each sphere, that get boosts based upon what the topmost card of your discard pile is. Uh, so like Sailor of Loon, for example, is kind of a generic one willpower, two cost ally that's not that great. But if the top card of your discard pile is an event, which is pretty easy to queue up, with all your various discarding functions, mm-hmm. you he gets a bonus willpower and can't be damaged um, while committed to the quest, which is great. Uh, Mythlon Sea Watcher, same thing. It, you know, not an amazing ally, but gets an extra attack boost and ranged if there's an ally on top of your discard pile. So, so it allows you to kind of do some manipulation to get these characters boosted up quite a bit. And then the event side of things, there's one for each sphere as well that benefit based on the number of copies of them that are in the discard pile uh so i think we've talked about it on tardy takes before but like elwing's flight and evening star are probably the two best of these evening mm-hmm. star gives you two progress on any location for two costs which just isn't that good uh so oftentimes you're wanting to discard your first one and then by the time you find your second one it you get to place two progress for each copy that's in your discard pile as well so now you're paying two costs to be able to place four progress in groups of two wherever you want it on the board. And when you find your third one, now you're paying two for six progress placed out there. So so it kind of ramps up with you as you're discarding them. So those are great cards to see early game when you're, you know, trying to get your elven jeweler on the board or pay for to the sea to the sea. You know, you, you grab the first copy of these and they're instantly in your discard pile. It's another just small way that you know this archetype really has so much synergy working with it right like yeah you draw these cards early you're very happy to discard them to either get some bonus or make something cheaper and then later on having discarded it will have been beneficial to you when you try to do something else which is very cool yeah and i think you're touching on synergy here could take us right into the next yep topic here because it's basically the first main point here and it's what makes Noldor decks so good and basically what I have written on the doc here is many cards support the archetype and trait Yeah, and we've talked about a lot of them there's a, a bit of a uh, huge list of cards I, I've listed here uh, so uh, I might not read them all because we've talked about many of them but you mm-hmm. know there's so many events 
that uh, play with it. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Elven Light, Lords of the Eldar, you know, the ones Shellen just mentioned that triggered off of being in the discard and stuff like that. But then even there's cards that you wouldn't consider Noldor that are also good for it, like Elrond's Council. That just requires you to have a Noldor, a unique Noldor in play. It's like, well, I've got the three heroes. Yep. You know, that can go in any deck with a Noldor hero, but guess what? It's still good in this deck, you know? So even these, like, generally good use cards are still good in this deck, you know? Um, or like I mentioned earlier with Daron's Ruins, already, like, the best yes. card draw card in the game, but now it's even better with these guys than it is with everybody else, right? Like, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's not surprising to see good cards be even better in a good deck. It's not always the case, right? But for the majority of times, you'd be like, oh, yeah, it benefits from being... It's already a good card, and it benefits even more from being in a deck that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are attachments. Uh, to the Sea to the Sea is the probably like the key clutch card of the Noldor deck. But even... Um, cards like Protector of Lorien are very good. Uh, and then you we mentioned playing like Reforged to play out of Sphere stuff, so you can play things like um, Raiment of War, Rivendell Blade, Elven Sphere. Those all don't. Those are all tactics cards. And if you're running Spirit Lore, you can still play them. Uh, there's uh, you know Silver Harp if you're trying to keep cards in hand. That one, when you disc- card gets discarded from your hand, you exhaust the silver harp and you put it back in your hand. So that's because mm-hmm. that's like good in certain quests too, where they're always trying to discard cards from your hand in general. So it's like when they're trying to hurt you, so you can play it as a tech in certain quests. Um, but you can also play it in this one to keep trying to get stuff back if you want to try to keep holding a card. Um, and then uh, more like good general use attachment cards, something like Light of Valinor, the one cost attachment that uh, that's unique that makes your hero not exhaust a quest, or Narya, the ring that can go on Cyrdan or Gandalf, and then you can use it to ready allies and stuff. So those cards are just, again, good in general, and even better in the stack. <laughs> so it's yep. like, uh, that's kind of the, the theme here, you know? Uh, and then lastly, sub allies. We've mentioned so many of them already uh, that trigger around... Uh, discarding or being in the discard i'll mention a couple that we we haven't talked about already um that reggie on survivor uh which john loves uh apparently chad and chris don't which i i'm a little bit miffed by i think this card is pretty good in a certain type of deck but if you have no cards in hand it gets plus one of all of its stats which is pretty useful um let's see did we Talk about Galdor ally and Airstore allies. I think I can't remember. They, I mentioned Galdor super briefly, but yeah. Okay, yeah, Galdor and Airstore both have um, ally versions as well that uh, function around discarding and drawing cards as well. So if you're if you're not playing those heroes for whatever reason, you can also play the ally versions of them. And then there's even cards like. The Linden Navigator, which is really good in those sailing uh, mm-hmm. uh, quests. Because, uh, is it, how does she exactly work again? It's something like uh, she doesn't. She does not. Work. 
exhaust to commit to the quest and can commit to the quest while exhausted. Uh, but that has a force that you have to either discard a card from hand or she's discarded from play. Uh, right. The quest yeah. Resolution there. Yep. And then uh, I put a, a Sylvan ally on the list too as well. Galadrim Weaver. But you put sure. the top part of your discard back into your deck. So that can be useful if you're like, oh, discarded my uh, Reforge. I really wanted that. You can play the Weaver, kind of put it back. So, I mean, there are a lot of, lot, a lot of, lot of cards that that support this archetype and trait. Uh, so that is probably the number one reason why it's it's so good because sometimes you get a deck where it's like, um, well, I've got about well, Harad is a good example, right? Where it's like there's about six cards that support Harad archetype. Right. So it's like that's a cool, interesting deck. I just don't have enough cards for it uh whereas moldor has so many cards that either directly work with it or can that aren't specifically noldor related cards but do work in the deck right and not only that but i think that at least up to this point in game design like maybe maybe dale comes close to touching on this later but for their trait design everything's just so interwoven and interconnected like you're talking about mm-hmm you know, we, we see a little bit of that with like Gondor having some interesting things like Citadel Custodians having their cost reduced, but still being printed five costs so that you can play in a very good tail combo with them to bomb something in that works well with how they swarm or dwarves doing, you know, five dwarf things and Legacy of Durin to draw another card, which is probably another dwarf, which lowers your threat. So we see a little bit of this interconnectivity in some of these other trait decks, but I don't think there's anything like Noldor in the game in terms of this, where like one card that you discarded is a resource that you can use to pay for something that you couldn't have paid for, which allows you to draw another card or two, which allows you to discard two more cards to get an Elven Jeweler, which allows you to draw up to six cards with Galdor because your hand's empty, which, you know what I mean? Like, the planning phase we've talked about with these guys, not only is it different, but you can have one that takes 10 minutes for you because it, it just became so crazy. And you, all the things you didn't think about maybe being able to do, you now can because three or four cards all comboed just perfectly with one another uh, to make it better. So not only do you have a full deck of 50 really good cards, because there's like 80 good Noldor cards to pick from, but all of them just play off of each other so well. Yes, I find you're talking about planning. One thing that's, <laughs> it takes forever too because you have so many different options in your planning phase too where it's not just like, sometimes it's very obvious what your play should be, right? Yep. It's like, um, well, I, what's a good example? Oh, a dwarf. You're like, well, I've got a, a dwarf deck. i got a dwarf in hand. I'm playing a dwarf, right? Exactly, yeah. two lore resources. Here comes Hammersmith because there's a two-cost lore dwarf. Uh, in this one, because of the way you have to discard the cards, you have to think about, like, okay, so if I want to play both the Rivendell Guardian and the Elven Jeweler, that means I need to have six total cards in my hand, right. <laughs> I think, right? So it's like, you need to have, this, you need to have a, the four you need to discard, plus the two cards you're trying to play, and so you're, like, trying to really math it out at times, too, so it's, like, it's, um, it is fun to play as well, I think. Um, but it's also, like, the options aren't 
straightforward. You know, we talk a lot about the the Eagles deck that I like to play because the Hiragon deck because it's just like I, I say it a lot. It's like it's so easy to play because I play one card a turn basically, and I play it at the same time every single time, and it's not very hard to decide. So you know, it's really right. great. Do I have I'm an Eagle really... <laughs> of the Misty Mountain? Great, I'm going to play it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, do I not? Okay, well I'll play a cheaper Eagle then. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, that's basically it. So uh, it, it it varies in in uh, or this deck varies in the fact that you're really trying to think about what you're playing, and because there's so many cards and a lot of decision points as well. So I, I hope people kind of understand the idea of why we're talking about that because we've talked about so many cards that are good that obviously the more good cards in your deck, the more decisions you have to make on which ones to play. Right? Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure, and then and then the cards that you're not including in your deck, but kind of start the deck building process for you are your heroes, right? And mm-hmm. we've already touched on how good they are in terms of their abilities, right? They yeah. they are the cards that make the deck function. Kind of like Dine for those of you that have the Dwarves of Durin pack. He makes the dwarf deck like him on the table instantly just makes it so that your dwarf deck's probably going to work regardless of what else you probably did because they're <laughs> yeah, all getting the stat game. boost yeah 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 these guys aren't quite as like dumbed down simple as just keep dane dying ready but it kind of is you know you mentioned that their stats don't really matter which is kind of true because their abilities are so good but they also have great stats like yep here dan's got high threat but he's questing for four and has good enough combat stats to keep you afloat early game and then basically Galdor and Aristor are kind of like Faramirs. You know, they're two, 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 threes or whatever out there, or two, 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 four in Galdor's case. Just good all-arounders, quest early or early game combat, keep you afloat. So you just start with such good stat spread on the table, and you start with all of the card draw that you could possibly need to make your deck function. Right? You have Mm-hmm. either Galdor or Aristor pulling you a bunch of cards or seeding your discard pile. You have Kirdan letting you see extra cards. You maybe have Arwen giving you resources and extra cards if you find Elven Light. It Your deck just works from turn one almost every time because even if your mulligan was garbage, you're going to see three more cards in that first resource and planning phase. So you're okay. You can you're you're gonna find some good things to play, and if you don't, you're gonna find some things that you don't care about discarding, and then get them in the discard pile, and be able to be kept afloat by your hero's stats for a round until you can draw three or four more cards the next turn. Um, so I think just the ability to start with the the driving force of the deck on the table makes them so good. Where like Gondor, you you kind of need visionary leadership and steward to make that deck work. Like your heroes aren't really the driving force of that deck. It's those two attachments. Dwarves, right. like sure, it's dying, but you need a couple resource accelerants and to get up to five dwarves to be able to a very good tail and all these things to make it work. Sylvans, you need Olorian because it's your trisphere and can't figure out how to do anything. So it's not just the heroes. Like Noldor, it really is your heroes. And you get to start with them and play regardless of your mulligan, which I think really ups their power level especially in the tougher quests that really make you start strong um and i think that's kind of why when we talk about like the, the tier levels and power levels of decks noldor seem to be so high all the time is because they just start so consistently because they see so many cards right right so if people 
uh, I guess we should have talked about this. The, I, I did mention in the very beginning the Keldara um, explainer that I made because I made that video that goes with the two and I talk about things like basically win probability in a quest. Mm-hmm. And in theory, your lowest win probability should be on the first turn because you have nothing and you have to get everything out of the table and the encounter deck has already kind of got a bit of a head start on you usually. And as the game goes on, you should be pushing that into your favor. Mm-hmm. And the good decks, what they do is they push win probability into your favor very quickly. Uh, and that was why what I was saying with the Keldara deck is like, oh, you know, if you're on like turn one getting 12 resources of allies into play, it's like, wow, you just really supercharged your deck, huh? Um, normally that would take three turns, you know, no. three turns to do. It's like instead I did it at one. So I, I basically cut two turns out of uh, my acceleration into getting into, you know, you're going from your early game board state where you have like a couple of cards into play, you're starting to build, but you're kind of like not really set up to mid game when you're like, I'm pretty much getting there. And then mm-hmm. late game where you're like, I'm there. And the speed of the Noldor deck is one of the things that makes it so good, as you mentioned. Uh, and I'm, that's why I'm talking about the win probability is you can, by seeing so many cards, it reduces some of the variance of a deck where it's like, if you're top decking one card every turn, if you don't see your good card in the first couple turns, like, good luck. because. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to get it. Whereas when you're seeing, you know, if you are just playing even just Aerostore and Kyrdan together, you know, you're looking at five card, right? You're looking at three, four, five, six cards, keeping five on a turn. So like every single turn you're seeing that, you're just seeing so much of your deck. It allows you to just get up to speed much more quickly than a deck. And, and by having the heroes on the table, as we're talking about, it, just, that's what allows you to get the speed, as opposed to like an Elrond Villia deck. Half of the deck is in half of the deck is in your deck, which is a weird thing to True. say, but you know, because it's like Elrond is in play, Villia is not. So you must find Villia to play the Elrond Villia deck in the Noldor deck. Yes, to the sea, to the sea is a very helpful and key card, but I mean, the cards that actually are going to really get you going are on the table, the hero cards. For sure. Um, anything else you want to say about this one, or should we? I just want to make uh, sure. No, nope, if, if there's anything there. more we should say about this one. Okay. Um, I guess let's transition then from a card from cards that start on the table to a card that does not start on the table, but is probably just as good. Lords of the Eldar mentioned it briefly. This is one of the reasons why it's so good, and I'll explain kind of how it works and why it's so good. So as I said before, Lords of the Eldar costs three spirit, can only be played from your discard, and when you play it, every Noldor ally gets plus one to its stats, and then it goes yep. goes on the bottom of your deck, right? I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So first of all, let's think about just the fact that oh, plus one to every single, and it, also I should mention end of the round. So when you right. play it, they, it it, can, it lasts for. I guess if you play in planning, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but the last for the quest phase and the combat phase, which is the most important thing. So you get two uses of the statistics here. So it lasts you for a long time, right? That's a big deal. Uh, much better than a phase one where you have to think really carefully about like, okay, do I really want this boost during questing? Do I need the plus one willpower or do I need the, you know, additional attack and defense? So you have to think. Lords of the Eldar, no thinking because it lasts for the round. So Obviously, plus one. Hopefully, everybody understands why plus one to everybody's statistics are good because it just 
ball of stats builds up every single one of your characters. Even even some of your characters who are like we said Elven Jeweler is a 1-1-1. One, one, one. That's a really kind of weak ally. <laughs> Hence why you can get it into play for free. But if it's 2-2-2, two, 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 hmm, now we're cooking. Because now if you have two of those into play, right, now you can attack an enemy for like four. You can yep. quest for four, right? Um, it just builds upon itself. But what's so interesting about this is we've talked a lot about emptying or drawing so many cards. It's like in most card games, when your deck is empty, you lose. <laughs> Uh, and again, this is a competitive card game thing that I'm, I'm thinking about, but it's um, it's usually bad. But however, in Lord of the Rings, a card game, when you have no cards in your deck, you just can't draw more cards. So it's like, my deck is done. Uh, I have no more cards to draw. I just look at the ones in my hand and imagine what it would be like to draw cards again. So what's cool about Lords of the Eldar, though, as we said, it goes on the bottom of your discard pile. So if you have no cards in your deck, you play Lords of the Eldar. It becomes the bottom card in your deck. You're guaranteed to draw it again next turn, mm-hmm. which means you can discard it again, which means you can play it again. <laughs> so you can just recycle Lords of the Eldar over and over and over again once you get an empty deck and you've got a good enough board state. Sometimes you maybe want to, you'll be reshuffling your deck with the Will of the West because you're like, I didn't quite get there. Or I need like more threat reduction to get my Elrond's Councils back. But if you don't and you're in like late game, I mean, this card just steamrolls quests it's insane yeah we talked about how strong the start is for noldor but their finish is equally as strong like i mean once you've got a board state there there are many noldor decks that i think i've played you've probably played that you you sometimes play two lords of the eldar in a round um <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you know you haven't you're not having to pay your resources for allies anymore because you've gotten the key ones out and got a good board of them out there so now you're just flooding the encounter deck with plus stats uh so this the self-recursion on this one is really uh what sets the top end of this noldor deck apart Mm -hmm. because all of your noldor allies are good stat wise like i mean some a lot of them are used outside of trait specific noldor decks because they're still like perfectly acceptably costed allies for the stats that they provide uh so when you boost them by one or two to everything, they become amazing. It's not like dwarves where I think you kind of got like a dine tax where a lot of them kind of suck. If he's not on the table, like they, they just feel <laughs> yeah. overcosted because they're meant to be played with the bonus willpower and attack. Noldor aren't like that. They, you know, they've pretty much all got the correct willpower or attack or defense stat that they should have. Uh, and so boosting them beyond that just makes them uh, yeah, supercharged. Like you said, yeah, late game, it it's it can be shocking how good they are. So we've we've talked about oh, you can get off to a really fast start to get into mid game to try to get into late game sooner, and then if your late game is very strong, then obviously, hopefully, I keep saying obviously because I'm hoping people are catching on to this. Why we keep going over, we we keep kind of re re going over the same things over and over again. That's kind of the point here, is so hopefully you're seeing that like oh, if I play a fast deck to get to the end state of my game where I, I'm in a really, I have a lot of cards out in play and then I could boost them over and over again. You're just in a winning scenario, you know? Yep, absolutely. And then to go along with both the really fast start and really strong finish, they've got just all sorts of toolboxy things built into it yep. also. They've got a lot of different effects. 
Uh, they've got the Imladris Caregiver for healing. Uh, you know, obviously not as strong as maybe like Warden of Healing, but probably no the next is. best. <laughs> right. But I was to say like probably the next best ally mm-hmm. healer after Eorth. Like, you know, you pitch a card and get to heal. You can do it twice um, per round with each of them. You're oftentimes pitching Elven Lights to them by mid late game so that you can draw them again. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so they're great. You've got readying for like Glorfindel to be able to attack multiple things. Um, you've got good defense allies in the Guardian of Rivendell, or at least like good enough to, to get you through most quests. Um, you've got chumps that you're more than happy to see killed off, like your Elven Jeweler, uh, for when you're having to face like the really big enemy, you know, because that's kind of like the one weakness of the deck is in and of itself, it's hard to build like a super defender. So for those boss allies, you've got, you know, mm-hmm. these very easy cards that you basically paid one or zero resources for. You're more than happy to feed to a Balrog uh, so that you can swat it with your army of elves back in one turn. Um, they've got card draw built in. They've got cost reducer built in. They've got, you know, progress placed on locations built in. So, like, they've got toolboxy answers to almost everything, uh, which is just a great accompaniment to just already being strong from a stats and board present standpoint. Yeah, Sean, it's baseball season. What would we, we would call the sky a five-tool, a five-tool player. deck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, he basically it could do everything um, because our decks were, you know, I think uh, we've talked a lot about dwarves. A, a big weakness of dwarves is they have no in-sphere healing you have to import yeah. it. And, and hardy leadership gives everybody okay. plus one uh, hit point, but I mean, it doesn't. Once you take the damage, there's no way to take it off, you yep. know. So it's like, or if that card gets discarded, then all your people croak it because then you got max, you're maxed out, and you're like, oh, uh, my entire board died. But um, whereas, yeah, there's really not anything that this one is missing because, again, you know, we didn't specifically mention a card built into this archetype of the discarding that works with threat reduction, but you got Elrond's Council. Mm-hmm. So you got a zero cost card that reduces your threat by three and you can play three times a game or more. So, yeah. And I talked about like their one weakness being big defenses. Like, I mean, you have protector of Lorien as well in the core set, which gives you plus three defense. If you pitch three cards to it, which you can't sustain the whole game long, but for a couple of key defenses, you sure can, um, you know, with a, two defense era stores now a five defense hero for a couple attacks so they even mm-hmm. kind of have that one <laughs> uh taken care of too so yeah it's just crazy the the coverage that they have for what yeah. the encounter deck you can throw at you yeah even something like um let's play lords of the eldar give every give my uh guardian of rivendell plus one so he's uh four defense now right yep and then let's do uh naria on him after i you know um Exhaust and defend a weaker enemy. Yeah, two defenses for five. Yep. Yeah, now we got an extra defense, extra defense strength, and that's as we've kind of demonstrated, not that hard to pull off at an old or deck. So, uh, and that guy, he's also got multiple hit points on him too. It's not like he's, it's got was that uh, that Sylvan one, um, that Jim, the defender of the Nath, that he's, a, I think that's only got two hit points, right? And this one has three. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. So or that's I think, a big difference too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 
can really just do it all, which is pretty nice and pretty key. You know, uh, if you're really trying to look for a deck that you can play against a lot of different quests, you usually have to be able to handle a lot of or do a lot of different things. Potentially, a lot of things are thrown at you. So playing a deck that has a lot of different answers for different things is the type that you can... I don't say brute force, because that's not the correct term, but you can kind of just roll in there and and have a good chance of winning, right? Right. Um, yeah, I think when people talk about like how strong a deck is, there, there are two metrics that I think are really um, factored in there. It's like, how good is it? Like, can it beat a very hard quest or can it beat, you know, a middling quest with great ease? And then the other part is how many different quests can it beat without really needing to tweak it all that much, right? And the Noldor mm-hmm. get kind of exceptional marks in both of those um, categories for deck strength. They can beat yeah. the hardest quests and then they can beat the weird quests a lot of the time too. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have yeah. to change your deck very often if you're the type of person that likes to play a deck through a whole cycle. They're the type of deck that gets you through it. Yeah, so that that could be this could be the type of deck that could be really fun to play in the upcoming campaigns because you're like, I'm probably not going to have to change a whole lot. Uh, maybe only like five, six cards a quest, yep. maybe mo- at most, as opposed to being like, you know, sometimes where you're like, uh, okay, this <laughs> this deck is really not going to work against this quest. You know, if you try to roll like, hobbits against something in Angmar, like the <laughs> uh, Waste of Eriador, bad times, yep. you know? Uh, so this one doesn't really need a lot of tweaking, which is nice. Um, our last one here for what makes it so good is the spheres that are very prevalently featured mm-hmm. in the deck, and specifically a certain one, which is Spirit, uh, because Spirit has got all the recursion cards. So, like, this might seem like a weird thing to say uh, to be talking about here, but I have to go over the conceptual thing here. It's like, what if the spirit cards had recursion, but the Noldor deck was mostly leadership? You'd be like, right. damn, I need all these recursion cards and they're the wrong sphere. <laughs> but you have them in one of the spheres that you're the strongest in because Kyrdan and Arwen, as far as starting heroes, are very common in an Noldor deck. Uh, you know, a lot of the cards we've talked about today as well our spirit elven light to the sea elven jeweler lords of the eldar you know reforged danified glorfindel like so many of them are spirit so it's like uh it's it is really focused in spheres that it's very strong in lore as well those are probably the two main ones that you're playing the most with uh an old lore decks so it's not like you're really spread out or things are in the wrong sphere where you're there's like a, this miss match of like you really want this effect but it's not in the right sphere so that is also very helpful um so that's good <laughs> i'm glad the designers did that for us because they, they could have done something like that where it was like oh we put all the recursion already in spirit this will make noldor so good so let's make noldor really focused on leadership instead of spirit they didn't do that they mm-hmm. put it in spirit which is a sphere that supports it well yeah, and they put basically every card that you really need in spirit and lore so that you don't <laughs> yep. have to do the dance like dwarves and sylvans have to do of trying to figure out tri-sphere and really working on mm-hmm. your cost curve and 
sometimes drawing into a full hand of one speed. You know what I mean? Like you can almost always play cards because you only have two spheres and have some good resource smoothing and cost reducers and that sort of thing, uh, which is really nice. And then the other bit on that is in addition to all the good cards we've talked about, like lore and spirit have almost all of the other answers for just like tech cards, like not Noldor cards that you might want to sneak into your deck. You know, your your test of will, <laughs> your hasty mm-hmm. stroke, yeah. your Yorith. Yeah. Uh, if you need more healing uh, than what your caregiver can provide, your Daron's runes, deep knowledge, if you need even more card draw. Like almost all the toolboxy cards that a deck's like, man, I really wish I could run test of will for this scenario. Like Noldor can. Like, sure. Put three test of will in there. That's great. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's the other like big key part. Like, sure, you don't get sneak Gandalf, I guess. Um, and I guess you don't get tactics attachments, but when you can play like Ally Glorfindel, Eladan, and Elra here and Rivadel Guardian, you're pretty set on combat anyway. So does it really matter? Like, no, not really. So I, I appreciate yeah, I- that they're 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 funneled into two spheres only for the most part. Um, and then you have ways, like you right. mentioned, with your stand and fight and reforge to get access to some of the other ones if you really, really need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is a bit deck building 101 to talk about this a little bit, but the fact that you don't have to, as you've mentioned, think about your cost as much or think about your um, allocation of like, okay, I ha- I want 14, 14, 14 of my spheres. It's just like... Yep. Uh, it's a little heavy. Uh, just swap a couple, not a big deal. <laughs> you know, it only really focusing on the two makes deck building much easier, quicker. It makes your decks function better because you're, you know, when we talked about the heroes being on the board right away, you're not, you just don't need to like get a whole bunch of things to make your deck work. It's just like it's simpler, which is, um, in this case, a good thing because yeah. it just allows you to play stuff more yeah it's easily. hard it's hard to build a bad Noldor deck like if you're using the cards that you got in angmar and dream chaser cycles mm-hmm. and your elves of lorian pack and looking at cards that seem like they should work together they probably do you don't really have yeah. to think that hard about the rest of it like like no you you can you can cost curve yourself out or resource yourself out uh a bit wrong but it's still going to be fine like it's not like you've built a terrible deck all of a sudden which i think you can do in a lot of other places if you're not careful like a a poorly constructed noldor deck is you know what's the joke about pizza right like bad pizza is still pizza it's still fine oh yeah Uh, it's so good man (laughs) i don't know that i had pizza today (laughs) yeah there you go like a bad noldor deck is still a noldor (laughs) deck like you're you're not gonna suck you know what i mean so i i think that's a, a huge a piece to it as well like maybe you're not building the amazing one that's gonna beat karn doom for you on the first try or whatever but mm-hmm. but you're probably getting through intruders and chetwood just fine with it um so i think that that's pretty cool with them too they're easier to build with than some of the other ones in terms of getting off the ground running right you know uh quickly here one nice thing about posting this whenever we do is People will not know. I I could have had pizza on any day of the weekend. It could also still be true whenever I post this. <laughs> that <laughs> I is love true. Pizza so much, but uh, um, no. The thing I think that's important with this too is you you kind of mentioned like oh it can be in comparison of building the deck and it f- failing. This is probably going to be 
the best out of the box one people can build because I think, um, well, uh, maybe not the dwarf starter. <laughs> I think that that yeah. might be just as good or uh, as this one. But when you think about, we'll we'll, we'll take the uh, starter decks out of it because the whole point is that they're supposed to be these synergized decks at work. Um, we'll say the core set, the fellowship box, and the Angmar box. This is, I think, by far the best one because it comes with the most cards supported. Like, you think about... Yep. If you try to play a Dunedain deck uh, from the Angmar one, it's like, I can't ever quest. <laughs> All my cards want me to fight, and I have, like, no willpower at the table. Or I'm exhausting, you know, my, like, Aragorn, and I'm, now I can't attack, right? It's just, it's very weak in some aspects. You know, the Hobbit deck, because you're missing so many... Because the Hobbit cards it, are so spread out in the, in the game's life cycle... That is like you're missing so many of them because sure a lot of good ones are are in the um fellowship box. I was gonna call it the uh Black Riders box, but sure many other are good in the fellowship box and you can build a pretty good deck, but you're missing, you know, Fast Stitch and Trier Folk in the Book of West March and Rosie Cotton and you're missing so many cards right away that it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a bit of a shadow of itself. And then obviously uh, anything in the course is uh well. It's a corset deck, you know. Um, for any game, you wouldn't expect a corset deck to be amazing. It's supposed to teach you how to play the game. It should play the mechanics. And you're supposed to be able to, to win, but you're not going to win all the time because, of course, it's uh, the corset. It's not the... Um, not the one. So... Yep. Uh, and I also think it's fun to play, too. Because I think there's a lot... I think we I hope that we have made that clear in terms of what uh, of terms of when we went through this, that it's it's fun to play. I think some decks like the dwarf deck is strong, right? Yep. It's very good, but it is just you burp dwarfs out as fast as you can. I think this is a, a more fun, more active deck to play. Sylvan was like that, too, right? Where it's like an active deck as you're playing it, which I also think for players for new players, is fun, too, because you want to have a lot of different types of decks to play, because uh, I think putting a, a deck... Or, sorry, I almost spoiled what I was going to say here. Uh, trying out new decks is like putting on clothes at the at the shop and tr- testing out wardrobes, right? To be like, oh, is this my style, right? You sure. know, it's like, uh, you know, you may see it on the model and be like, oh, that looks cool. I, I, th- I like that. And then you put it on, you're like, ooh, doesn't really work for me but then you may see something on a model and you're like mm, i don't know and you put it on you're like oh definitely for me and that's something with playing cards in a, a card game too is that like we me and you we have different types of decks that we like to play you know different styles so it's like uh having a different of different variety and types of decks is good too for players to really find one that clicks because that's important to i think it's important in terms of um for the players to be able to find a deck that they really uh, or style of play that they like because it keeps you coming back to the game and wanting to play wherever it's like. I think Brian kind of complained about this um, first age host was he really had a hard time finding a deck that clicked with him because the deck he wanted to play, Rohan, wasn't very good, but that wasn't that really hurt the game for him, I, I would say. Whereas, like, for me, finding a deck, you know, the Galdara deck that really clicked with me is something that's kept me going. So, you know, that's, like, very high burn you know, like feely stuff or whatever but i do think it's it's nice to get something totally different to play than the other things that we've gotten 
to see if players, maybe they don't like it and they hate it. That's cool too, <laughs> you know? Definitely. And I think that kind of segues us well into the fact that there are variants on the Noldor deck even, I think, that that are pretty sizable differences, maybe not necessarily in deck composition, um, where the changes are probably minimal, but in how you pilot them and play them through the game that are mm-hmm. very, very different. Where like a dwarf deck is kind of always a dwarf deck. Like y- you can maybe do some more with the discarding cards milling thing here or there, but it's it's kind of like you have dying boosting stats and then you get as many dwarves as you can. Where yeah. I think Noldor have this really interesting dynamic of I think we both agree that probably like the most interesting and easiest to build Noldor deck is going to be to start with Kirdan from the uh the deluxe box, the Grey Havens box. Yep. And then start with Arwen from your Angmar cycle yep. as and have two spirit heroes. Mm-hmm. And then we mentioned we need spirit and lore. So you need a, a lore hero for your third slot, right? And I'll go boffin. <laughs> he he wouldn't be terrible. Again, you can't build a terrible Noldor deck. Falco would probably be okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> but we're talking now. You're talking Aristor or Galdor for the that lore spot, right? They're both going to be very similar to yeah. willpower, to attack, to defense heroes in the lore sphere with the Noldor trait coming at you that have card draw. But the decks that they build based upon which one you're using, how you play them round to round, are very different, right? Yeah, I mean, Aristor, every single turn, you're discarding your hand, so you have to play differently because you're like, there's no point in having all of these expensive cards or cards that you want to... You know, you mentioned Test of Will, it's like, it doesn't really work in an Aristor deck because you you better hope the card you need to cancel is this turn, because if it's mm-hmm. not, what's the point of having Test of Will in your deck, right? Whereas Galdor is a type of deck where you can hold things a little bit more differently. We mentioned Silver Harp as a card that you know can bring cards back from your discard if it gets discarded. Like that's a better in a Galdo one than an Aristor one because Aristor, you're just like, all my cards are going away, so I don't really care, you know. Oh uh, right. Well, Silver Harp does work pretty well for Aristor for the test of will situation you're talking about, though, right? He, oh you can, yeah, but I mean, you can save one card from round to round if you need yeah. to. Like that's more of a tech thing, though, right? You're playing. Yeah. Road to Rivendell for some horrible reason. You bring your silver harp <laughs> along so that you can cancel Sentry, or, or yeah. maybe keep your hasty stroke. Probably save it for that instead. Right? Yeah. Because the thing with the Aerosaur deck is because then you need to get the the silver lamp before you have the cards that you want to save. And if you get the cards that you want to save before the or, sorry silver harp, then it's kind of like, well, the silver harp was stupid because I saw all the cards I wanted to keep. Yep. You know. So that's usually why I don't play it. I mean, you could, but as you're saying, it's, it's more of like a specific quest thing where you're like i definitely need shadow cancellation or treachery cancellation a lot of times you just like you just say you say bye bye to all the cards in the air store deck you just don't care it's like yeah i want them all gone because they're all going away you know but yeah so they, they do pilot quite differently uh this is kind of like the origin of why we want to talk about this because i always play air story and you always play galdor and it's like mm-hmm. we are like talking about 80% of the same thing, but then there's this big divergence where there are cards that I like a lot more than you or, or things that I do that you don't, and vice versa, because it's like, well, I'm all my cards are going away, so I'm not, you know, as we said, I'm not looking to keep things because, or I'm looking to have zero cards in hand. That's why I like the Regian Survivor, because 
error store. You lose all your cards, so you're really incentivized to discard them all before uh, questing phase. So you have zero, so he's two, two, two. Uh, whereas in a Galdor deck, he's probably one, one, one a lot. Because, yeah, by mid game, you've got a huge hand yeah. in a Galdor deck, so that's a bad card in a Galdor Noldor deck. Whereas in mm-hmm. an Aerostar one, it's a very well costed card. Great, great card to use. Yeah, uh, I think so, the other big example that we often pick and joke on John for. Uh, is the the ally Elrond? <laughs> Elrond, <laughs> like yeah. in a in a Galdor deck, like uh, I think Chad runs a lot more Galdor as well. So it's kind of like Chad and I run the Galdor ones, and then you, Chris, and John uh, run the the Aristor ones. But in an Aristor deck, you know, you might you draw four cards every turn. You know, maybe one of them you can play, one of them you can't afford, and then one's not good. So you can discard two of them to to the sea to the sea and only pay one resource for your ally Elrond that popped up, and that's amazing value. You know, you weren't using the other cards anyway. Now you get to draw a card or completely heal somebody and have huge stats mm-hmm. on the board for a turn. Where Galdor, you know what I mean? Like late game, maybe I can put him out there, but I'd much rather be putting my Elidans and Elrahirs and Guardians of Rivendell mm-hmm. and you know things that I'm saving up for turn after turn for somebody that stays on the board permanently that by the time I get to play Elrond, it's kind of a win more card. Cause like if I have resources to burn on that, you know, I'm probably dominating anyway. So what's really the point in using him? Uh, so those are some of the kind of cards you're talking about that, like they different the, the 20% that differs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause, cause you're saying like, it's like reverse of the, the silver harp for, for uh, Elrond is like, in Galdor, he would be the tech card because you'd be like, "I know, I need to remove a condition attachment." Exactly. So I'll play. I'll put in. T- oh my god, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'll put in two copies of Ally Elrod. Oh, hurt to say that you're only supposed to put in one, but <laughs> you're like, "I need the condition removal." So you sure, know, you put them in. Whereas normal, a normal quest, like if you just rolled up, as we've kind of talked, where it's just like, "I'm going to play some random quest," right? You're probably not putting them in into a Galdor one because. You don't know if you're going to run up against the question condition attachment you need to remove, so you just don't care. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, I'll deal with it, whatever. You know, I'll just hope it doesn't hit. Whereas if you knew it, you might be like, okay. You know, if you're playing Saga or something like that, you're like, all right, here's all of the stupid condition attachment treacheries. <laughs> Let's uh, get the LRL in there and discard them, you know. So, yeah. Uh, they are, as, as, you, as we said, probably, they're very similar, and then there's a slight divergence, but they do still play pretty similarly you're playing a lot of the same cards so how different can they be right what what is it about the aristor deck in particular that makes you prefer it over galdor version speed i think it's just so fast i like seeing all the cards um because the galdor deck because i'm holding cards in hand at times sometimes feels a little too much like playing other decks whereas the aristor one really feels like a different deck because um losing your hand at the end of every round this and again we we, we talked about this at the beginning because that might seem like it's a new player maybe like oh my god air store freaking sucks because yeah sure i see three cards but i have to lose everything you know my four cost allies my fair is going away but it's like well if you know how to build the air store deck you know to play all the cheap cards or play things that you want to get discarded or trigger off of me you know all these cards that we talked about previously of course then he really works so that's why I prefer him over Gal. I do like the selective mulligan of Galdor. That is really cool. But you know that first turn of Aristor where you have uh, 
you start with your starting hand of six, and then you draw three more from Aerostore, and then you draw, you know, you look at two, draw one more for, <laughs> from Kyrdan, and you've got this massive first turn hand, and it just like, um, I know you were not a Netrunner player, but there was this one ID, uh, Andy, Andromeda. Um, I, got the, I got the cool plastic double-sided CI Andy uh, thing, uh, ID, but she was so good because you got the nine starting hand. Uh, she, normally in that game, you start with five, I think. It's been a long time since I've played. Sorry, people. Five or six. I forget what it was. But uh, she started with nine. I think it was five. So she started with nine as in her starting hand. That was her only ability, but it was so, you would get such fast starts. And that's why people loved playing her because it was like, oh, I saw so much of my deck. Um, I could get my first turn could be so explosive. And that's what I like about the Air Store deck because I feel like that first turn, you're just like, really get getting out of the gates and then if you kind of have a bad first turn it's like slave is wiped clean i can try again next turn <laughs> yep for sure yeah i think I, i'm not sure it's super debatable I, I i would i would come out and just say that the aristor version of the deck has a greater top end potential than the galdor one does you're going to be seeing more cards and you That's have right. that big first turn too like they're both still amazing uh, but I, I do think you're right. Like when you're talking like the speed of the start, the era sword deck's going to win most of the time. Um, I prefer the Galdor deck because I kind of like the puzzly nature of it. Uh, both of them kind of function similarly in a macro sense in that mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of cards that you want in your discard pile in your discard pile early, either through Aristor's gigantic first hand that you can't pay for or Galdor's, selective mulligan and then probably trying to carefully discard the rest of your cards from that opening hand as quick as you can to draw six Mm -hmm. more so you're the the point of both of them is kind of the same at a macro level where like i saw a ton of cards early and i got a ton of cards in one of my discard pile early both of them do a very good job of it i think i just prefer the puzzly nature of um galdor i think it's more fun for me to to look at that opening hand and try to figure out how quickly I can get myself down to zero cards in my hand so that I can get to that six more there. And then I just, I, I think I like the consistency of being able to hang on to those test of wills and hasty strokes and that sort of thing. Um, just that's my nature as a player. I think the Aerostore deck kind of stresses me out in some quests sometimes where you're, <laughs> you know, couldn't find your free, harp, brother. or maybe you couldn't pay free. for your harp, and you you just want those tech cards. Um, but that's just personal yeah. preference for me. Like I think, I think Galdor is a little less stressful of a Noldor version of a deck to play, so that's why I like it more. Yeah, I, that's one of the things because I play so much Spirit, and I don't play the Test of Wheels and Hasty Strokes and stuff in the Aerostore deck, which is kind of like sure feels a little naughty, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it feels nice. Because, like, as a single, as a uh, person who plays pretty much always single player, it's like, it really does hurt me to not put the the Test of Wills in because there's so much pressure on you in a single player game that if a treachery sets you back too much, it's basically GG because no one else can help you dig out of it. It's mm-hmm. just over for you. So yeah, I think I play it a lot, so... playing a, And Noldor is a deck, too, that can kind of eat a lot of treacheries because you have... You know, you've got multiple heroes with a lot of hit points, but you got ways to heal them. You got so many allies into play. Like, it can eat a lot of treacheries, and you're kind of 
okay. There's some, of course, horrible ones, like every... <laughs> you know, you mentioned it, uh, Sleeping Century. Of course, nobody wants to see that, but um, I feel that it, it can kind of shirk them off, too, as well. So you don't, qu- you don't quite need it as much sometimes, which is kind of y- cool. But. Yeah, and you mentioned both of us liking and playing different decks. I think it should be mentioned just for, for my part here. I don't play Noldor a ton, uh, because I think there's there's like a pure Noldor deck at least is stronger than the average deck I like to play most of the time. So when I do play Noldor, I'm playing, um, you know, I don't know if we can link it in the show notes or these sorts of things, but it's it's very similar to uh, Board Gamer Joe's uh, Swords of the Noldor Reforged deck. Yeah, which that's is I play a lot of similar. Yeah, you but it's my I think he uses Aristor, I'm using Galdor, but I mean it's it's using all of the broken stuff. You know, I mean it's using Reforged to get Steward of Gondor. Yeah. It's you know what I mean? It's using <laughs> Reforged to get Rivendell Blades out. It's using Narya on yeah. things. Like the power <laughs> level of the deck is so strong that the only time I'm playing it is when I'm playing uh like nightmare mode quests. Like I'm not taking it up against treachery of rudar because i've done that and it's not really that fun for me anymore to crush a average (laughs) difficulty quest with a really strong deck um so i think maybe that plays into my want of those tech cards more because you run into some of those horrific nasty horrible things in nightmare a little bit more often than you might in standard mode Uh, and that's typically if i am playing noldor it's probably because i my first deck I built didn't do well against the scenario and I wanted to beat it. So I'm going to bring in the big guns at that point. Yeah, I think, let me think. So the deck I play the most is obviously Kaldara. Well, I'd be shocked. Uh, sure. Never shut up about it. Uh, number two deck I play is Jalen Hurts Eagles deck. Also big mm-hmm. shock. Talk about it a lot. <laughs> uh, number three is probably uh, Dale because it's got my cousin in it. Um, and then is this maybe my number four most played deck? Possibly. It'll be the number four or number five. Because um, this is kind of like a handful of decks like uh, Elrond, Vilia, this, Sylvan, and Dwarves. I kind of all play them kind of equally, I guess you could say. Um, so I think probably the reason why I like playing it is it's very different than those three ones I mentioned previously. <laughs> sure. Uh, so it plays a lot different, so that's probably why I, I do enjoy playing it and why I won't I kind of agree I don't go to it as often as those other ones. Um, well, one of the things is those three decks I mentioned before are like really, really, really consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you were to say like, this is like an A minus consistency, it's like, well, those other decks are like an A plus consistency. So it's like, it's a little bit of a drop off. Um, and it does have some funky matchups at times where you're like, it's just a weird deck to play, and if you don't play it all the time, you can kind of make some suboptimal decisions uh, where you're like, oops, I kind of screwed that up. Uh, so, probably, but I do play it a, a fair a fair amount, I would say, because it is unique to play, as we've mentioned many times. So Definitely. Um, all right, so yeah, we talked uh, now a lot about, um, I would say a set of four heroes, uh, the two spirit, and then we just talked a lot about the version, the different versions of the two lore ones. Uh, what would be some other 
heroes that you could run in this, and how well would they work, I guess is how we would want to discuss this. And how different are those decks, and are they even like this type of deck that we're trying to talk about here? Um, I think the most obvious one that people are going to be interested in is running Elrond as the lore <laughs> hero instead of Aristor or Galdor. How would you think that would... Well, obviously Elrond is good, and Elrond really is good, but how does that... Did you? How does that work in an Oldor deck? Do you think that is really a good idea? I think it's fine. I think, as is going to be the case with many of these that we're talking about, we're we're getting into less of a pure Noldor deck composition yeah, from your allies' standpoint. It's just a very different deck. I mean, if you're running Elrond and Kirdan, for example, your threat is not only going to be crazy, but you're oh, going God. to be wanting... <laughs> you're going to be wanting huge allies that you get into play for free and then can with Vilya and then ready and use multiple times with Narya. Um, you're probably not running those two together very often because the starting threat's just going to be out of control for you. But 27 for two heroes? Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, even when you factor in Arwen's nine, right? Maybe 10? No, so it's but 25, right? Mid-30s. Bad, bad math. Um, in there. Yeah. Which is just yeah. high starting threat for a lot of quests that are going to have some nastier enemies coming at you right away. But it is an interesting deck and a workable one and probably one that, if it sounds fun to you, is worth taking for a spin. Um, just your ally composition needs to not be as many of these to the sea to the sea sort of Noldori things and much more of the you know big, expensive ally Legolas and Gimli from the saga boxes and yeah, uh, yeah, it's... you know that sort of cards that you're because you're not cheating them into play using the discard mechanic anymore. Right now, you're cheating them into play with Vilya is is the big difference. Yeah, it's a different deck. I would I would not consider it a Noldor deck if you play exactly. It. You have Noldor That's heroes, but it's not a Noldor yeah. deck. Right, and if you were to be like, I don't want to play Vilya in this deck, and you're trying to play Elrond, I don't think that that would really work because you're losing that starting card draw that you're either getting from Aristor or Galdor. And yeah, he can help you sphere smooth a little bit, but he, you're losing a lot of the, the, the juice. I think that starting juice of the deck because now you're looking at just Arwen with, you have to now ha- really have to get Elven lights early. And then Kyrdan is the only things getting through your deck as opposed to, you know, turning through it in the way that we kind of talked with the other dudes. I think, probably suboptimal yeah. yeah at that point you're probably actually looking at elrond as a kirdan replacement uh as opposed to elrond yeah. as yeah. a galdor yeah. or aristor replacement like because once he gets vilia he has both spirit and lore resource mm-hmm. icons and arwen can make up the difference on the spirit side because you got the smoothing so keep your card draw lore hero and then have elrond be your big beefy uh combat stat hero with a ring as opposed to Kyrdan. Yeah, if totally. Wanting that, to that makes sense. Pure, pure Noldor. Yep. And that, that would, it would still function a little bit more like the classic Noldor decks that we're talking about. You, you, could, you could make that work, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to another Noldor traded hero who I think sometimes should be Sylvan traded, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's talk about her. Kate Blanchett, my God, she looks so great in a suit. Oh God! But we don't need to be. No, we don't need. We don't need to get too horny here. <laughs> um, Gladriel, how do you feel about her in a 
trying to play this type of Noldor deck. Because she's obviously, she's in the game, she's got the Noldor trait, and she's a noble. We'll yeah. say Noldor hero for the sake of the game. But She's another one of those that, that functions in the deck. I think she could either be a Kyrdan replacement again if you're not really caring about the combat Narya boost. Like, if you're not going to be Narying things anyway, she's a cheaper way to get four willpower once you have her ring um, into play and then keeps your threat more under control. I So she, she works. I think it'll be an interesting way to play around with the deck a little bit. But I think with the amount of draw you get and Elrond's counsel being so easy to use in a Noldor deck, Mm-hmm. That she's not as useful there as she is in Sylvan, who don't have the cheap threat reduction and don't have the easy on the table card draw right away. So she she's fine, but I think she hurts your top end power of the deck. Like I think a deck with Galadriel is still a good sure. Noldor deck, but it's not as good as some of these other ones we've talked about. Yeah, I don't think her passive ability is going to be all that hot either because your allies coming into play. If you're if you're really going, yeah, you're not bouncing up, hardcore right? into this this Noldor that we're talking about. Their stats are not good enough. It's like, oh, my one willpower ally is not going to exhaust the quest this turn. He's, it's got zero or one attack strength. Cool, yep. you know. It's like, you know, if you play her in a Celeborn Sylvan deck. Kelleborn is giving the plus one to all of those characters that they come into play, and you're, you're seeing them coming in out of play a lot more often. Uh, not sure that her passive is really going to do you anything. Not that it seems, according to my uh, messages on Discord, it doesn't seem like many people ever remember she has a passive ability. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say uh, could could maybe work suboptimal, definitely worse than that Elrond one you suggested, I think. Uh, Elrond replacing Kieran. I think I think Galadriel would be would be worse um, than the other ones. So let's move on to another. Well, people are not going to have this hero. I yeah. guess. Let's talk about him anyway because I want I want to ask about it. Uh, Spirit Glorfindel hero. Uh, so for new players, I will remind them what he does slash doesn't do i guess <laughs> which is he doesn't suck but costs five starting threat same stats as a lower chlorfindel three three one five um uh, technically has a negative uh text box mm-hmm. because his only ability is um when chlorfindel exhausts just when he exhausts right to commit to the quest i think right exhaust to commit to the quest yeah yeah, yeah exhaust to commit to the quest um, you have to raise your threat by one. So a card that we mentioned a little bit earlier that's really good in an older deck in general, specifically on Kyrdan, um, Light of Valinor, the one-cost unique attachment that you attach on to Glorfindel, basically, <laughs> in this mm-hmm. case. I think, is, is it just Noldor or is it Noldor or Sylph? I think just Noldor, right? Yep. Um, I, I only ever play it with from and Kyrdan, so I really don't remember. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but then they don't exhaust to give it to the quest, so it basically blanks his negative text box. Um, how would you feel about him, and who would he pl- potentially replace in a a Noldor deck, and how does that work for you? Uh, so I checked. It is Noldor or Sylvan for the Light of Valinor there, uh, for those people that oh. are yelling, yelling at us through your podcast player. Uh, 
I can't believe I remember that correctly for a person who I admitted I've only Yeah, I should have remembered because we use it on Argolad and Legolas sometimes, you know. Um, but uh, Glorfindel, I don't think fits into a Noldor deck. Um, the only reasons that I can really think of you needing to run him is if you're really worried about location control and just need Asphaloth to be able to help you with it because uh, his horse is oh, incredible okay. at doing that. Or if you have a really weird plan for threat uh, and need the low threat starting for whatever reason. Uh, and his big issue is that his ally is just so good in a Noldor deck. Yeah. Um, being able to basic basically get the same stats as the hero, you know, three willpower, three attack, just by discarding a card each round. You get to use them at least, at least twice, sometimes more. You know, you discard to ready him in the travel phase or whatever. You get two uses of his combat stats, so he's even better than the the hero. Uh, and like you said, the hero, even if his text box is negated by Light of Eleanor, it's still just a blank text box hero, and you can just do so much better than that with Noldor uh, when you can get Glorfindel into play for nearly free with to the sea to the sea instead his hero doesn't have a place in the Noldor decks when his allies that good. Yeah, he despite having the really low starting threat, he actually kind of he doesn't help accelerate your deck at all really because a lot but, of the, a lot of the point of him is actually to help you turtle a deck is to play really slowly because you have a, you know, good statistic hero and a really low threat so you can build up slowly whereas we've kind of talked about Noldor, you try to get going as fast as you can, you know? So I think kind of some anti synergy. I would argue. Also, yeah. then you have the uh, if you try to, if you try to play him like instead of let's say Arwen, then you have the fight for Lena Valinor potentially between him and Kierdan. Right. Is like, well, it's got to go to Glorfindel because otherwise you're getting hurt every single round by him. But it's like, well, then I can't put it on Kierdan. So, yeah, he pairs pretty well with Kierdan and Elrond just strictly from a threat standpoint. Yeah. But again, that you're not doing a Noldor deck at that point. You're a doing different something deck. different. You're just using Noldor heroes to do something else with them. Yeah. Uh, I guess talking about different decks, <laughs> let's talk about. The, I mean, this is what people used to call Noldor decks. Yeah. The old brothers. Uh, yep. You want to explain this, what this was a little bit so I don't have to, and then also uh, tell me about. Uh, why we? I guess why we don't consider it an old or deck, and why this is getting that's why why it's here. <laughs> yeah, sure. So Eladan and Elro here, uh, Arwen's twin brothers. There are two heroes that came out in the Dwaradel cycle. So again, not in the revised content packs, but are Noldor traded, obviously, being Elrond's sons. And basically, their function is that their stats aren't good until the other ones on the table too. So when the other brothers on the table, I think. Eladan is got three attack and Elra here has three defense. Uh, so they get boosted to good combat stats. And then the hero versions have a response on them that, you know, when the Eladan attacks, you can spend a resource to ready him. And when Elra here defends, you can spend a resource to ready him. So that if you have a glut of resources on them, they can defend or attack as many times for as many resources as you have. Uh, so you should see that, you know, their text boxes have relate to resources and not cards. So they're not really fitting into the Noldor deck. Again, a lot of these trait-based cards that interact well with Noldor, like Elrond's Council and Light of Valinor and stuff, play well on them because, well, they have the correct trait. 
uh, but their leadership and tactics, so they're outside of the spheres of oh, almost yeah. all of the other Noldor cards. Uh, they have spirit and lore ally versions <laughs> that fit beautifully into the Noldor decks. Um, so, so very much like what we said with the other ones. It's a deck. It's a fun deck. Um, I think it's been revitalized with later cards that were released in the life cycle of the game. It was fun for a while when it first came out, and then I don't think people played them for a long time. But then when Arid Mithrin and Vengeance of Mordor came out, they saw a bit of a resurgence, but it's it's not an old or deck. You're not using cards to fuel your engine. You're using resources to fuel your hero engine at that point. So it's a very, very different deck build. Oh yeah, totally different, because the other goal is just put a ton of attachments on those two heroes, which is different than the Lord deck, yeah, as you said, completely different type of deck. But this is, as I said, this is what we thought Noldor decks were for a long time. Because in the beginning, what the hell? It was all. It's very funny that we were like, "Oh, the cards are so synergistic. They work all so well together. Everything works so perfectly." The beginning of this game, what was going on mm-hmm. with the Noldor trait? My God, man! So we have like a uh, hero Glorfindel who can heal. Uh, yep. None of the other heroes really do anything with that i guess uh elrond sort of does um mm-hmm. with his passive you had like uh two allies we'll talk about in a second here watch the brune and troll scout that you were discarding cards for then you had these brothers uh that were combat focused then you had like spirit glorfindel again another glorfindel so the low threat hero that was supposed to work for the secrecy decks but for the low threat decks then you had like ally arwin and it was like, yep. there was n- nothing that connected these Tying cards them together. together. Nope. It was so bizarre. Yeah, nope, it wasn't um, until wasn't until Angmar they kind of figured it yeah. out what they were what MJ was gonna do with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was so crazy that like I said, this is kind of what we thought when people said you were playing Noldor, you know, um yeah, up until Angmar is what people even probably up until Dream Chaser, to be honest, this is what people thought you were playing. Because it was like, I mean, we usually called it a brother's deck, but it was, you were playing, like, yeah. not at all. You're playing all the, like, elf stuff because you were usually playing Spirit Glorfindel Hero or something with them, and it was like, yeah. So, crazy how far it's changed, right? With the, our definition of kind of what we Yeah, for the first the half of the life of the game, it was a very different <laughs> deck. Yeah, so pretty crazy. Interesting history lesson, I guess, for people. Um... But moving on to the end of the game, when we got Gildor and Glorian Hero, uh, <laughs> another one that doesn't really work with Noldor decks, right? Yeah, because again, he's spend a resource to draw a card. He, he's there kind of to let you branch out into a third sphere if you really wanted to, I think, because he's a leadership hero uh, yeah. with, with good willpower. I think most often when we think of Gildor, we're thinking of him as a like splash leadership hero in a completely other deck. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't think that there's enough support in Noldor to really want leadership unless you just desperately want Steward <laughs> without needing to find Reforged or yeah, without Reforged. Uh, Narya yeah. for it first, right? So that's yeah. really the only reason you'd use him in a pure Noldor deck is if for whatever reason the cost curve of some other things that you needed just relied heavily on steward, I, I guess guild yeah, sort yeah. of works there. Weird. Yeah, and, and honestly, uh, I know new players will not have access. Well, I guess we'll move on to this segment here. Uh, so I'm gonna, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll uh, I'll Trojan Horse start it here. 
people are not going to have access to the Gildor and Glory, and you're actually going to play in an Old Lord deck, which is the five-cost lore ally, um, who is going to be more commonly seen, because it's got uh, three, two, three, three? I think three hit points. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, five cost, but you're getting it. You know, if you're discarding four cards from hand for to the C to the C, cost one, and then you're getting bonuses for something your discard, or you can get a unique. So um, you're gonna see that one more often. Um, so what are some other cards here that people might not be getting in this revised pool that could work with it, um, but aren't necessarily. Not all of our must-haves, but some things you might be missing out on that you might be sad. So we mentioned Gildor and Glorian. We mentioned Light of Valinor. I talked about that plenty just a yeah. couple minutes ago. Uh, Sean, why don't you give me a couple here? Yeah, so I think you mentioned Light of Valinor there, which, which is the biggest one. But then Rivendell Blade, I think, is the other like kind of key attachment to help the Noldor out. It's a tactics, one cost. It reduces the defense of the enemy that you're attacking by two. Uh, it's by far the best weapon that you can get to help increase your attack power. Um, and I think those are the two biggest things that I think you're going to be missing as a new player uh, with a revised only pool, which I think is a good time to set aside and say that means you're not missing much. Like when you factor in the Dream yeah. Chaser cycle and then the last couple Saga boxes and then the presumptive Arid Mithrin repack. Um, you, you are getting almost the entire Noldor deck that you would want. You're going to have more than enough cards that you get to pick and choose how you want to build the deck even, um, which I think is pretty cool. Like the Hobbit deck we talk about, like you're going to be missing fast hitch forever. Like that just sucks for, yeah. for new players in the Hobbit deck. Like Light of Valinor stinks that you don't get it. Uh, for the Noldor, because it is just a one-cost action advantage for Kirdan in particular. Uh, but I think it makes the card pool maybe more interesting. I think we discussed it. I think on the either on the big show or maybe it was just behind the scenes. No, I think it was on the big show. The guys discussed like I think that actually makes Narya a more interesting target on Gandalf if you're going to have to pay two cost for uh, unexpected courage on either hero right. instead of Kirdan getting a discount. Maybe that like spurs some more interesting deck building in a revised only pool but your noldor decks don't need these two cards to reach their top end power really like you're going to be fine you're going to have enough attack power without the rivendell blade yeah you can pay one extra resource for unexpected courage and still have kirdan doing his thing um and it can maybe even include some extra copies of it to have aristor as your emergency defender <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah. so you're okay even without these cards that like they're in my old or deck for sure i imagine they're in yours also since you said yours was similar similar to the yeah. gamer joe's um but they're not they're not cards that are the glue cards of the deck no they're cards that are I, helping yeah yeah i i uh i often don't especially the riffendale blade i often don't even get into play <laughs> a lot of times for an entire game or i'll get like one and it's like ugh. You know, so because I play, I think I play like two. So it's like, yeah, yeah. sometimes I don't see it. In Light of Valinor, a lot of times it's like, if you're tearing off the cards that are important that I need to get into play, it's like, all right, so I must get to the C to C in play. Okay. I really got to need an Aria in play. Yep. It's, like, it's like, you start bumping down the list, you're like, okay, Light of Valinor is like, and then it's like, well, I actually need some allies in play. Light of mm -hmm. Valinor is kind of like working its way down the list in, in, in the, in the, uh, 
an old Ordex is very good. It's helpful. It's more like a ancillary supplement card as opposed to being like a key card. You know, when you play that Spirit Gold for Del Hero, you mulligan for Light of Valinor yep. because it's so important. When you play it in the Noldor deck, you're like, oh, cool, Light of Valinor. <laughs> it's like, it's nice to have, but it's not, you know, you're not dying without it. Um, but I, I agree that those are probably the, the top two most important ones. I think the next tier down for stuff that you would be sad to be missing are probably um, Region Survivor, the one I mentioned, the, the two-cost spirit ally that gets um that's one 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 but gets plus ones yep. if you have no cards in hand that could be pretty useful although you can replace it with sailor of loon i think it's probably totally <laughs> fine um cloak of lorian uh one cost lore attachment that can give you some defense um so that's pretty nice it's in sphere so yep. it can be and it can attach out of characters that's the important thing for cloak of lorian too so you can put it on like uh the Guardian, what is that, that? Right, that's his name. Yeah, we've we've talked for so Guardian long. Guardian of Rivendell, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting confused. Yeah, uh, Guardian. You could put it on Origin Survivor. You could put it on uh, over here. Yeah, yeah. Your heroes. It doesn't matter. I think it's a pretty nice one. Um, I would also say in that tier, maybe Song of Healing. Um. Mostly the art is cool in that one. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. But yeah, another, another healing. Game, yeah, another healing card that lets you discard. That's pretty nice. Um, and maybe borderline air store. Well, I, actually, no. On, in, in this tier, should be Gildor and Glory and Ally. Definitely yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, Just as like another almost, Naria target. Yeah, that's almost top tier. I think. Um, but I usually only play like one of him, so I can't really put him in the top tier because he's so expensive normally. Mm. Five cost, my god. I'm not putting two of those in my deck. Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe borderline for this one would be Aerostore Ally, although we talked about playing the hero a lot. So if you obviously are going to play the hero, you can't play the ally. So it's like, mm, maybe you would never see the table, right? Yeah, and Aerostore Ally, I think, is going to fit in with Hero Gildor and then Wandering Exile as ally where they're all leadership um yeah. and like if you don't have gildor hero you're not really missing having aristor ally or the wandering exile M- maybe maybe your noldor deck decided to run denethor as a leadership splash hero or something for whatever reason and then maybe you wish you had a couple more leadership noldor to spend resources on but eh, th- these are more like weird tangential deck building options if you're trying to take the deck to a different place that you're losing out on so you are losing out on some deck building creativity maybe uh but you're not losing out on the spirit of the deck or the power level of the deck by not having those that like suite of leadership cards yeah yeah i almost think those those three need to be put into like a different category because i agree being a different sphere it's hard to really consider them because you're almost as we said you're almost then playing like a totally different style that we're talking about um and then bottom tier uh bottom tier stuff you're missing that really doesn't matter at all um elven male uh attaches attachment that can um boost some hit points <laughs> uh it costs two so like just play raymond of war honestly um, yeah if you're gonna be trying to cheat something in um 
I mentioned him, Watcher the Brune and Troll Shaw Scout, the like OG Noldor allies that we got. Um, Watcher the Bruin, and he's got two defense. And after he defends, you have to discard a card from hand or discard him. Troll Shaw Scout is two attack strength. Uh, basically, it's the same thing. After he attacks, you discard a card from hand or you discard Troll Shaw Scout. So, uh, really, the problem why they're not good enough is because of their stats aren't good enough. I think mm-hmm. if um, I think if they were two costs and had threes for those you would be much more likely to think about playing them. Um, yeah. Because then you'd be not. like, well, they do, you know, kind of sort of function with the deck, but they too weak, right? I think. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not missing out by not having those in your deck for sure. Yeah. And then two more that basically they have Noldor trait, but have nothing to do with the Noldor deck. So you really don't care. You're missing them. Harbor Master, who like gets a bonus of willpower with like resources are moved around like whatever <laughs> completely useless in, the, in this type of deck we're talking about uh, and master of the forge who's better at other decks um who you exhaust him you look at the top five is it right yes i think top five for an attachment and add it to your hand and then shuffle your deck so that's really more of like that's not like a combo card that's a card that i think people are gonna miss in general in some of these decks because like that's such a good if you're digging for a combo piece, especially if it's an attachment, even if it's not, he just thins your deck so quickly. Um, he's very good in those type of decks, but not, he has so much card draw. I think that you exactly. mentioned that in like the pregame. You were like, man, we have so many card draw cards. Do you need Master of the Forge? Not really. It's like, that is true. So Yeah, yep. And you're only fine looking for to the C to the C probably as a key attachment in this deck. Or Noria, yeah, I not- suppose. Yeah, yeah. But you're going to find those, too. Is, is, is the first one, but yeah. Nari is good, but you don't need Nari to win is the thing, you know? To the C to the C, I think you probably do, but yeah. I mean, that's it. One attachment that's, like, super, super key. Uh, one that's, like, really nice to have, and then, you know, a couple more that are decent, but <laughs> not necessary. He's not he's not uh, helpful at all for this deck. Mm-hmm. And he, has no good, he doesn't have good stats, either. He's got one defense, I think, right? And that's his only statistic. It's like, uh, he's not even good with Lords of the Eldar. So. Right. So, it's yeah, I mean. Story if he had better stats, but. So, yeah, that list is basically. You're, you're not missing much. You can, you can replace Light of Alanor with Unexpected Courage. You can replace Rivendell Blade with just a couple more allies with combat stats in your deck. And you're probably okay. You know what I mean? Like this is not mm-hmm. like so. If you're looking at deck lists on Rings DB and you see a deck that you're really loving, but you know you don't have those those couple key cards, they're very easy for you to um, just include those replacements for them. I think and have a deck that functions at like 95 percent the same capacity, and 95 yeah. percent of a top end sure. Noldor deck is still going to beat the Dream Chaser cycle for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, yeah. You, you're okay. You you. This is much more plug and play than like if you're looking for a Dunedain deck and you realize you're missing five cards that came out in the Vengeance of Mordor cycle. <laughs> you know because they kept putting oh, Dunedain stuff out. Sure. So I, I think this this trait is going to be very new player friendly, even with the limitations of missing a couple cards that'll make some decks so that you can't build them exactly. It, it's just going to be so much easier to build around because they're not as vital or they're replaceable uh, much more easily than with some of these other decks are. 
yeah, that's another reason why we picked Noldor to go first as well, because it's like, this is a deck that new players will be getting, be able to build pretty, not exactly card for card as you mentioned, you'll be mostly there, but there's a good, there's enough substitutes in the card pool that you'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. And your deck will still be good, and as you mentioned, you'll uh, the bones of this deck, you're getting most of them, and it's still going to be good enough to to win a lot. So it's not um, yeah, I think the Dune or Die War is a good comparison where you're just missing a lot of stuff and you can't really build a very good deck. I see a lot of players in the Discord being like, I want to build a Dune or Die deck, and it's just like, ugh, good luck. I mean, I did it back in the day, too, and it was it was tough. I took it to Gen Con two times in a row, and it was not that hot. Yeah. It was fun, but it was, yeah, B-tier for sure. And I think one thing that we, we didn't have in the notes here, but I think Bear is mentioning is the Noldor trait deck is very, very cool. But I think one thing that I'm excited for seeing with the Nold- with the new players getting these Noldor cards is that these heroes are so splashable into your previous content as well that after you've tried the Noldor decks, you know, try to put Aristor in your Defenders of Gondor deck so that you have card draw. You know, try to put Galdor into your, <coughs> you know, Rohan deck, uh, so that you got card draw and, and the selective mulligan and these sorts of things. Like they're very splashable heroes because they've got the draw built in. Uh, so it's pretty cool that 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 will function as well. Like we talked about the heroes being the driving force of the Noldor deck, but they also make them very splashable into other just good stuff decks as well, which I think is going to be a fun thing to see how creative players are with the revised pool using these card draw heroes. Yeah, well, the one I think this is probably his threat is not good for, but Kyrdan because he's got mm-hmm. such good statistics and a, such a good ability that like he might be the he can sometimes be like the only card you include for extra card draw and you're kind of okay, you know? It's yep, like absolutely. You're seeing two cards a turn, that's good. So yep, good enough. Don't need a whole it frees up some space if you wanted. So, um, is there anything else that you want to add about? the Noldor deck to our our seminar here. Um, It has been quite a long seminar. I hope people took a break. I forgot to (laughs) tell everybody it was break time, but anything else you want to add? No, I think we've been talking at them for long enough. I'm excited for new players to get their hands on the Dream Chaser cycle. I think Angmar was fun. Uh, and an interesting starting place, but I think now that we're going to get Dream Chaser as well, I just think that the card pool opens up so much more in the revised only. Uh, like, yeah, we, we've jokingly kind of talked about it off air and stuff that it's kind of boring prior to Dream Chaser talking about revised content only stuff for for us for players that have all the cards because there's just not that much you can do. I don't think. But now, now there it is. Like now, you can do some interesting things. You can make some really weird, cool decks, some fun decks. Even this trait themed deck uh, is very fun to play. So I'm, I'm excited for new players to get their hands on on this one quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'm excited that I. I think this deck is, as I've said before, I think building a Noldor deck is much out of the box, is much easier than these previous ones we've gotten, where people are really struggling. And I think yeah. they're, I think they're better against the quests too than some of the stuff we've gotten because like. Um, and Angmar, I just don't think the Dunai deck is very good. Right. Straight up. I, I, um, the one you're going to be able to build stinks, in my opinion. Um, and then you you want to play the Hobbits in the in the uh, 
fellowship one, and then it turns out those quests can be kind of hard. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, because especially because you're missing Fastage, uh, such a key card. Man, we talk about this one so much, but um, a lot of people are struggling to get through fellowship because it's like all oh, these high tests of getting crushed by him right away. And it's like, yep. yeah. Um, whereas I think you, if you are like, oh, I just want to be able to build a deck out of the box and be okay, uh, you'll probably be fine with the the Noldor one. It'll it'll it will it will help if you have Angmar because you're able to play Arwen hero. But I guess if you didn't have her and you went straight from the core <laughs> set to this yep. box, you'd also use the Error Store. But you would get Kyrdan, you'd get Galdor, and you could run like Aowen. Yep, absolutely. You know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just replace her with Aowen and you'll be fine. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, your deck will still function well enough. So I am excited to see what people do, but I am more excited for the extra credit segment. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's what we've decided to call this bonus segment. Uh, so unlike normal tardy takes, I promise for the episodes, I will mostly try to rein in my insanity. Um and not just let it just fly free and be a total cast the entire episode. I will occasionally get one in, but I'm saving it for what we're calling the extra credit segment. So if all you care about is Lord of the Rings, the card game, and nothing else, I guess goodbye. This is it. The episode's over. Yep, see you, we'll see next, you next time. <laughs> whenever we do it, we'll see you next time. But oh, actually, some more before oh, you go. Yeah. Before you before you leave and and don't well, leave because I'm ex- I know <laughs> if you're one of those folks that are still here um yeah shoot us a topic uh in our Discord or Twitter as well I mean we've got some ideas queued up and that sort of stuff for, that we want to talk about but like I said this one was kind of born out of some questions other people have had so we're we're always happy to t- field suggestions so let us know yeah yeah and and I and I an idea that might take. It doesn't have to specifically be a deck, a specific nope. deck type too. Like, obviously, I, I mentioned the idea came born from the Keldara deck, and we did Noldor deck. But it can be like a topic on like, um, you know, what are things? You know, some of our, our other ideas like what makes uh, top tier decks top tier. You know, we kind of talked a little bit on this one, but we go in depth on that. Or like, you know, why am I constantly losing to this to quests or whatever? We 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 can do things like that or you know it can aquatic be aquatic songbirds of the inland northwest we could do a deep dive into um, that as well right well that's more of uh that's more of this extra credit segment challenge oh okay you're right you're right yeah because this the extra credit segment we have not even gotten to it yet so this is great <laughs> this is classic it's going to be insanity and crazy and uh i in the note for this uh yes Listeners, there are notes uh, for this uh, show. It says, each episode ends with an insane anecdote about something. (laughs) Which I think is a pretty apt description of what we're going to talk about here. So, let's begin. I am presenting, and it'll it'll pass off. Sometimes I will present extra credit, sometimes Sean will. Um, But I am presenting extra credit today. Although this is kind of an extra credit for both of us, because we're both kind of obsessed with this thing I'm about to talk about. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'm sure people are very familiar with um, the Swedish building block company Lego, right? Right. Um, 
Like everybody stepped over one before and had to go to the hospital because they broke their foot. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure people are familiar with the fact that Lego says that there's no such thing as Legos. There's only Lego, you know, kind of like deer, deers. There's only one. There's only just deer. Okay. Okay. Um, so Shellen and I, as we've often made jokes about on a, mostly me <laughs> on this show, especially me, uh, do enjoy some college football. You know, honestly, Shell, you probably watch more college football than me, but I just, I enjoy <laughs> the culture of it a lot. <laughs> um, and if people are unfamiliar with uh, American college football, at the end of the season, so we everybody plays like a regular season. You know, you play teams in your conference, so those are, they used to be teams that were regionally around you. That's not always the case anymore. But uh, you play teams in a conference, and at the end of the season, you have a record, and then... Um, is this still this way, Sheldon? Do you have to be have six wins to be eligible for a bowl? I I, I believe that's basically, the yeah. There are there are yeah. some fringe cases, Except. but yeah, six and six gets you to a bowl game in most conferences. Yeah. So at the end of the season, if you have six wins, you can get invited to a bowl, and there are what feels like hundreds of bowls. <laughs> I think there's like thirty eight or thirty six, something like that. Um, yep. but it feels like there's so many because base. As as Shellen has kind of hinted here, uh, sometimes teams will finish with five wins and they'll get invited because there aren't enough teams, <laughs> which is funny. Or teams will um, say no; they will they will not they will be invited and say no; they will pass. Um, and so these bowls, they all have different sponsors, uh, and these are brands, companies. Um, you know, the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl uh, is one, um, but our favorite bowl, and I. You agree with me this, right, Sean? This is our favorite name poll. Oh, probably. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Is the Cheese It Bowl sponsored by the cracker Cheese It, which is like, first of all, hilarious. That's why it's my favorite bowl, because the concept of Cheese It sponsoring a bowl is very funny to me just to start with. Um, but however, this past um, postseason, we learned from uh, someone on Twitter told us this because they talked to a brand manager, yep. <laughs> I, I believe. And this brand manager told them there are no such thing as Cheez-Its. There's only Cheez-It. If there's one single cracker, it's a, it's a Cheez-It. If there are two or more, they're Cheez-It crackers. Cheez-Its do not exist, which is stupid as hell because everybody's called Cheez-Its for since the Second cheese that came out of the oven ever. <laughs> People are calling them cheese its. <laughs> so this is incredibly stupid. Uh, and I think it's dumb as hell, but it's hilarious. Um, you agree, correct, Shellen? This is very funny and stupid. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's <laughs> cheese its. I'm having a bowl of cheese its. Nobody in the world, other than this guy, has ever said I'm having a bowl of cheese it crackers. It, <laughs> it, it's not a thing. It's just it's not. Just and no, this dumb. is. It's fetch. Oh no matter how hard you're going to try, it's just not going to be a thing, right? Yeah. Correct, yeah. I mean, I, as a joke, I refer to them as cheese crackers because it's so stupid. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I will do it to make fun of them. Um, but the thing that other, the other thing that uh, I love with the cheese it Bowl, beyond now this stupid cheese it cheese it crackers thing, which is, as we've talked about a thousand times, insane and stupid, is... Um, it costs money to sponsor a bowl. 
Like yep. you don't just get it for free, right? They don't just pull your ha- name out of a lottery, but like, guess what? You get the sponsor a poll. Which means that Cheese It, specifically Cheese It, has the money to sponsor a bowl. And now so Cheese It is part of a larger conglomerate of snack foods, but their parent company is not the one sponsoring the bowl. It is specifically Cheese It, which makes me think Cheese It must be very rich. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If if Cheese It can sponsor this, but like Wheat Thins can't, or Chicken and a Biscuit can't. I mean, we know Cheez-Its are bringing in uh, the big bucks. But, as we've learned, as I just told you, if it is Cheez-It, that means there's one lone Cheez-It cracker. Mm-hmm. It's not the cheese- Cheez-It crackers bowl. It's the Cheez-It bowl. Oh, that's true. Which means that only one cracker sponsored it. And what I have done is I have gotten out my carry from Homeland. Uh, what is the guy's name from uh, Always Sunny? Was, it, was that Charlie Day? Yeah. With the, with the meme? Yeah. I've gotten out my board, my pegboard, with my red lines, and I have been meticulously researching this conspiracy theory that I have. And I must, because I must know if I have discovered this, that if it is a cheese bowl, there must be big cheese it, right? I mean, there's well, there's big cheese at crackers, but I'm not referring to those. I'm referring to the big boss cheese it, the the fat cat cheese it who's rolling in the dough that can sponsor this bowl. Right, the and one the up, one singular cheese it. Right, the one singular cheese it that has the money to sponsor this bowl, and I have discovered who it is, and it is this. <laughs> oh my god, it is Prince. Chedward. It is royalty. <laughs> it is a king cheese it. Well, he's not a king, he's a prince. Well, also, this means it's a king if he's only a prince. <laughs> so, but it is Prince Chedward is the cheese it with the money to sponsor the cheese it bowl. And, Shellen, if people have listened to that episode of Tardy Takes where I reminded people <laughs> about monarchy. Yep. Stuart Gondor, yeah. Stewart of Gondor episode. This means Prince Chedward. Again, where is he getting his money from? You know, um, the people did not elect Prince Chedward. You know, uh, what is it? Um, you know, absolute power is derived from the people, not from some. Uh, I don't know what I would say here. Not from some uh, machine that determined that you were the rich. Cheese it. I don't know. That doesn't really make sense, but this is insane. This is the whole point of this thing. <laughs> so Prince Chedward is big cheese it, and he is rich, and we don't know where his money came from. It could have come from exploiting other cheese it. It could have been ex- exploiting like wheat thins. Could have come from like blood diamonds. I don't know crypto. Who knows? So, um, my my plea and my rallying cry to other people is down with big Prince Chedward. We must guillotine him and then eat his head. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Down with the monarchy. Um, I would not cry at the fall of this monarchy. I would in fact humiliate it just by putting face paint of a raven on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Um, what what say you, Shellen? Will you uh, join me in the uprising? Uh, yes, yes. I think if somebody asked me that question, my answer always probably should be a tentative yes. Uh, okay. To not upset them before I maybe do some further research on the uprising. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the uprising is mostly going to involve eating copious amounts of Cheez-Its and hoping that one of them is Prince Chedward, but... <laughs> That's fair. My... It's funny. Cheez-It crackers uh, are are about the favorite snack food in my house. Both of my children love Cheez-It crackers. They are big fans of them. Uh, them and Goldfish both are are, are like S-tier snacks. Oh, yeah. Here well, in the house, are. probably. True. <laughs> yeah, that is... Uh, yep, that is extra credit. Uh, uh, my, my one... Uh, contribution here will be that the cheese it bowl uh is sometimes bowl sponsors bounce around a little bit uh cheese mm-hmm. it actually kind of got themselves an upgrade that you know the bowl that used to be the florida citrus bowl is now the cheese it bowl um which usually pairs like a pretty good acc against a pretty good big 12 team like teams that just missed out on the the new year's yep. six mm-hmm. prior to that however uh they had what used to be the copper bowl and is now the guaranteed rate bowl which is kind of like a middling bowl game that gets played at a baseball stadium in Phoenix. And there was only a two year stretch where the PAC 12 had a uh, tie in with the cheese it bowl while they were there. And the two games that the PAC 12 got to play in there were 2018 Cal played TCU in a game that finished 10, seven in overtime and and involved a total of 180 passing yards and nine interceptions between the two teams. Oh, actually, that sounds exciting. <laughs> and let me remind you, this game was played in Phoenix, so it's not like this is a oh, weather-related man. issue. Like, it was right. December in Phoenix. It was balmy and sunny and nice. Uh, and then the next year, the last year of the Pac-12's tie-in with the the Phoenix, with the Pac or with the Cheez-It Bowl was WSU. My my alma mater played in it in Mike Leach's last game in Pullman, uh, and. They lost to Air Force in a game where Air Force only had 30 passing yards and WSU only had 15 rushing yards. So, so two funny uh, contrasting styles against each other, and then just probably the worst bowl game that's ever been played. And then Cheez It said, We want nothing to do with the Conference of Champions ever again. Get us out of here. Well, you know what happened was Prince Chedward, he like used like either like nepotism or like his illegal contacts to like blackmail. Uh, who is the president of uh, NCAA? I don't even know anymore. Mark Emmert. <laughs> uh, probably strong-armed. He probably did. Into getting a better bowl. So, yep, that again, makes sense. All comes Down back with the to corrupt Prince Chedward. We must eat him. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that is it. Uh, extra credit is over. I hope you enjoyed that segment. I don't know. It was pretty insane. I can't wait to see what uh what next insane things we talk about, Shellen. Uh, I'm looking at the list, and I don't even know what the next one is, so I'm excited for our next topic. Oh, yeah. Well, we might mix it up, and it might be you who does it. Oh, bit, that's uh, fair. We'll, we'll, we'll see, because we don't know. We don't even know what the next episode of this is ever going to be, if there's ever going to be another one. So Yeah, we, we might only... get our funding pulled and not ever get another one after this, so we'll see. Well, yeah, if, if uh, Prince Chedward catches this he might i might be on the lamb so might be exactly so uh well thanks to everybody except for prince chedward we hope you enjoy noldor decks too